All right. Are you ready for God's word? Grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. We've been in a series of messages that we called Relationship Myths. Have you enjoyed this series? Has it been helpful? And uh, last, last week, if you were here, you know Pastor Mark and Elena shared. If you missed that, I encourage you to go online and listen. It was a fantastic message that I think will help you. And they covered a lot of ground. And so and they did it from a perspective that both of them were here ministering. And so they did it from a different perspective. And I would encourage you to, to, to uh, go back and listen to that. But we're just trying trying to talk about relationships and myths and, and doing things God's way. And I think Ephesians chapter 5 is such a secret and a key to healthy relationships and in particular healthy marriages. And if you're in here and you're like, well, I don't know, I'm not married, this doesn't apply. Well, if you ever think you might want to be married, this would probably be a great thing to listen in on. Or if you've been divorced and, and want to be married again, this would be a great thing. And I, and I will level the playing field. And you know my, many of you know my story. But if you're a guest and you don't know my story, I've, I've been single. I've been engaged and married. And I've gone through a divorce. And now I'm re-engaged and I'll be married. Oh, I was supposed to tell you this. We're actually getting married December 28th because uh, everybody asked. And... Um, and, uh, but it is a, and many of you have been watching our, we're doing our story on my social media. So if you want to know how we met and what our story looks like, it's on social media. And in fact, there's a new episode we're doing. It's like five episodes. There's a new one coming out today. I feel like it's like Netflix all of a sudden. I don't know. But anyways, uh, but it is a small, it's a small family kind of service. So we could not, we wanted to invite everybody. Uh, but we could not invite everybody. I mean, just inviting pathways like a thousand people. So we couldn't do that. Uh, so, but we are planning a reception after the first of the year if you want to come and celebrate with us, and we'll have more information about that. So, December 28th is the day, and I was supposed to say that. But, anyways, um, so, but I think back, back to this series on relationship myths, we've been talking about because so many times culture or just life gives us some myths about relationships that we start believing that aren't actually accurate. So we've been talking about different myths as we've been going. I want to talk about one today, but Ephesians chapter 5 is such a secret sauce, if you will. I mean, it's like Chick-fil-A sauce for relationships. You know what I'm saying? How many love them some Chick-fil-A sauce? I mean, it'll make everything work. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but this is really doing things God's way. And so just leveling the playing field, I've, I've been through a lot of different things, as many of you have. So I'm not coming from this standpoint like I'm some relational guru, an expert. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of investing in counseling and, and the Bible working on relationships because of my own story, my own history. Uh, and so, um, so I love the fact that the Bible speaks to relationships. And so I just want to share what the Bible says about relationships today and kind of help you because I think um, Ephesians chapter 5 is, is just a re revelatory text when it comes to relationships. And I want us to look at that together. And, and if you already know Ephesians 5, I may bring some things out today that you've never thought about or never seen it that way. Uh, so if you'll just stay leaned in. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And let me just say that Ephesians chapter 5, this is where we're going to get the, those famous verses, you know, uh, wives submit to your husbands, husbands lay down your life for your wife. What I've found is, and I'll say this before I read it, I, I've not encountered a lot of people that actually like Ephesians <laughs> chapter 5. Um, and, and here's what I mean by that. They love what it says about their spouse but they don't like what it says about them. They love the instruction that, yeah, you know, if a man can only quote two verses in the Bible, and I say quote loosely, if a man can only paraphrase two verses in the Bible, one of them is Ephesians 5, that woman's supposed to submit to me 
And the other is the verse that Mark and Elena shared last week where it's like, and her body's supposed to be mine. I mean, if a man can only, like he may not have John 3, 16 down, but he's like, pastor, she's supposed to submit and give me sex. And usually when I get that in a conversation, I look at him and say, so how's that working out for you? Usually not too well because you're in my office, right? And, uh, and the other side of that is true. You know, women are like, well, he's supposed to lay down his life, you know? And I'm like, yeah, he's supposed to lay it down. You're not supposed to take it from him, you know? <laughs> and so uh, anyways, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to have fun today, y'all. And so anyways, so we're going to read this together and, and just understand, I understand when we read it, we're not always going to like what it says about us, but we're going to love what it says about them. But let's read it anyway and work it out together. Um, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I'm going to come back because that to me is the key that makes the other verses make sense. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. One version says uh, nurture and cherish, um, but they care for their own body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. Just a sidebar here. I've heard people quote this verse, and, and they quote in the way because this is quoted by Jesus, but Jesus is quoting God, and God, it's in the context of Adam and Eve in Genesis. And people are saying, well, that was what God said to Adam and Eve, that Adam would leave his father and mother and cleave to Eve. But I just want you to understand, Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother other than God created them. And so God, God was not talking just you know explicitly to Adam and Eve, God was talking to everyone that this is so so marriage was God's idea and and marriage came from God it was and so he is the author which makes him the authority and so what God says about marriage is for everyone it's not just going back to well this was God's plan for Adam and Eve and no 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 he said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave or be joined to his wife well Adam didn't have a father and mother God created him and so God you know was his father but the point is God was he was he was setting in motion what marriage would be. That's my point. He wasn't just talking to Adam and Eve. This is a profound mystery. Verse 32, Paul says, it's a pr profound mystery. If you've been married any time at all, you agree with Paul. It's a profound mystery. <clears throat> but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you, verse 33, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Um, here's the myth I'm going to tackle today. Marriage is 50-50. Marriage is 50-50. Uh, let's pray together. God, we just thank you that the word of God, your word to us, God speaks to every area of life. And as we open the word, God, we open our hearts to hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us. Lord, I know watching online or maybe in the room, there could be marriages who are walking through a difficult season. And God, all relationships walk through, all marriages walk through difficult seasons. 
But God, you walk through difficult seasons with us. And so that's our hope today, God, that, that we understand we're not alone. So God, I just pray as we open your word, you would speak to us, God, and change our lives forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk a minute about marriage math. Marriage math. That might be a good title. Maybe I should have called it marriage math. Because marriage math and regular numerical math are not the same math. They're not, right? Now, I would talk about common core math, but I don't understand it. So I'll just pick math because I'm not sure if common core math is really math. You know, because, you know, in regular math is one plus one equals two. Common core is like one plus one divided by to, you know, you know, to infinity and the power of and, you know, multiplied by and then subtract this and add. And you're like, I don't know what happened. Anyways, point is in math, one plus one equals two in math. Half and a half equal a whole. That's, that's kind of how math works. But in relationships, it's not true. Uh, in relationships, two halves won't make a whole. Pro tip, if you're single and thinking you might want to mingle, um, then, you, you know, because a lot of times we watch movies, you know, we got great movie quotes, you know, great lines from movies, and it's fun. Pop culture is fun. Uh, but there was a movie out years ago called Jerry Maguire. It had Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. Um, and you know, uh, he says to her at one point in that, he says, you complete me. Right. And, and most women who have seen that movie are like, oh, oh, if he would just say you complete me. Um, but that implies that you were broken without him, that you were incomplete without him. And in marriage, you need to understand, see, in regular math, one half plus one half equals one whole. In relationships, if you have a broken person or a half a person and a half a person, you end up with half a relationship, and it's usually the bad half. Paul says in Colossians, we are complete not by finding someone, we are complete in Christ. And you need to know that if you're single, you don't have to wait to be married to, to pursue your purpose or to walk out your destiny or to live what God created you for. You don't, you don't have to be married. God called you individually. Um, it is true if God has called you to be married and many people want to be married and God has called, there are people who feel called to, be, to live a celibate life or a single life. And that is a calling. The Bible talks about that, right? Um, but at the same time, many people want to be married. Well, it, it's true. Then that's wonderful. If you'll pursue God, usually that's the best way to, to find a, a spouse. You pursue God, they pursue God, and eventually you run into each other, right? So don't go pursue them someone else and think, well, I'll find them in the club and then we'll decide to pursue God together. That usually doesn't work. We've done a lot of triage counseling for those type of relationships, right? That's not the way you want to do it. The point is though, you be healthy, you work on you. We've talked about in this series because in marriage, one whole and one whole makes a whole. So the myth we're talking about today is, well, in marriage is 50-50. No, the problem with marriage math is it's not like regular math. So in marriage, if you have a wife who's given 50% and a husband who's given 50%, you have 50% of a marriage. You don't get 100% of a marriage right? Isn't it interesting? You'll have 11 guys on a football team and they all say, Ooh, we're going to give a hundred percent. And you have 11 guys that give a hundred percent, which is how you win. And then in marriage we say, I'm going to give 50%. That's, that's strange, isn't it? In fact, in marriage, because sometimes we say, well, it's 50, why are you giving more to the football team? You know, anyways, but in marriage, in marriage, what's even funnier about that is we'll say, well, I'm going to give my 50% when you start giving your 50%. So now we don't even have 50% anymore because yeah. we thought it was a negotiation that I'll do mine when you do yours. 
And Paul's actually confronting all those issues and all those thoughts and all the things that we run into in this text because here's what Paul tells us. If you want a successful relationship, it takes a husband giving 100% and a wife giving 100%. Now that we can figure out, but here's what makes it interesting is what Paul says. But the wife's 100% is different than the husband's 100%. In other words, you get a husband giving 100% and a wife giving 100%, they don't look like the same thing because, shocker, guys and girls are different. <laughs> Men and women are different. And not only are we different on the outside, we're different on the inside. We're also, this would be a shocker, we're different on how we think about things. Yeah. Right? Wives, this is why you can ask your husband, hey, what do you think about this? And he can say, I I didn't. He's not lying. He didn't. Right? So the way our brains work is differently. Man, in a man's brain, he has all these little boxes, you know, like here's the kid box, the work box, the the wife box, the fishing box, you know, the hunting box, the house box, right? And and the way a man, I don't know, this is bonus material, but the way a man's brain works is when he's thinking about something, he's thinking about it really deep, but he's only thinking about one thing. So he gets the, you know, he'll get the kid box out and he'll take, and he'll be digging through the kid box. And you're over here like, well, what do you think about our relationship or what do you think about the dog? And he's like, I'm not. I'm in the kid box. It's all I can think about. I'm in the kid box. See, a woman's different. She has one box, right? And everything's in the one box. The husband's in the box. The kid's in the box. The frog is in the box. You understand what I'm saying? They have one box. So they're thinking about all these things all the time. And, and this, is, this is their secret, man. They think, and this is how they help you. They think about how all these things connect. See, the man had no idea the fishing box somehow was connected to the children box. He didn't know that those things need to exist and be connected and that if we're not careful, we can spend so much time in the fishing box that the kids don't feel like they're a part of our lives anymore. But see, women, no, they're different. They're like, no, the fishing box is in here with the kid box, which is with the frog box, which is with the school box, which is with the lunch box. It's all in the box. And they keep the box out and open all the time. Men have this incredible thing where they can just set all the boxes aside and close them. Y'all know it's true. And you say, honey, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking right now, I ate too much and my shorts are a little tight. That's what I'm thinking about. So men and women are different, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And we have different needs, different desires. Um... And, and we need to understand that. And so many times people will say, well, Pastor, I know men and women are different. But you have to understand we're different in how, not just, not just how we think, but we're also different in, in what we need. And, and unmet needs, un, unmet expectations is one of the greatest causes of difficulty in marriage. But a lot of times it's because we understand we're different, but we don't know how that translates to what we actually need from each other. And when I say need, you need to understand 
we can live without the things we need. In other words, when you're single, you know, you, you may want this or want that, but you can live without it because you're single and, and there's no one meeting those needs and there's a different way to have needs met through community and those type of things. But when you get married, one of the ways you experience a fulfilling relationship, God created us to meet one another's needs, which keeps us connected, which keeps us growing together and thriving together. And there are an assortment of needs. Um, Paul's going to talk about the two primary needs, and that's where we're going to focus today. But I want you to know, you can live without the needs, but one of the reasons we get married is because there is fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy uh, that, that come when we begin to meet, when we understand their needs are different than my needs. My needs are different than their needs. And, and I want to meet their needs and they want to meet my needs. And this actually keeps us connected and together and moving through life together and growing. And this is what Paul is saying. So the 100% that men give and the 100% that women give are not the same 100% because women need something different than men and men need something different than women. Are you tracking with me? So just two things we're going to talk about today. Point number one, you write this down. Men and women have different needs. Shocker. Shocker. Men and women have different needs. And Paul actually identifies this now, let me give you, I think, the key to Ephesians, the text that we're reading in Ephesians chapter 5. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want you to understand what Paul just said. Because um, Paul, Paul just leveled the playing field and he said, and this becomes, if you will, this becomes the lens you look for at the, at the verses that are about to come in the text. The following verses, we start here. In other words, there, there's no male dominance. There's, I mean, there could be male chauvinism. It's not healthy, but there's, the Bible does not speak to male dominance. He actually, the Bible says, no, no, you're equal. Submit to one another. But you need to understand this. The way we submit to one another is different. And spoiler alert, I'll get to this in the end, but it's different because it has to do with the way, not only that we're made, but the way we were flawed. And so that's just to keep you interested for later, right? So, so here's what he says. Submit to one another, meaning you are equal. Men and women in the marriage are equal. Men and women are created equally, right? But you need to understand we're made and created differently, equal but different. So we have different needs. We have different desires. When God made Adam uh, in the beginning... And this is kind of interesting, but it's the way God made Adam. It says God formed Adam. The word form there means it literally in the Hebrew, if you want a word picture, it's squished. So it said God formed Adam of the dust of the ground. It literally means he picked up the dirt and went... That's how he formed Adam. And then he said, you know, here's Adam. Now I need to make Eve. So he says, I'm going to make Eve. So I'm going to cause Adam to go to sleep. I'm going to take a rib out of Adam and I'm going to put that over in Eve. And I'm going to, and then the Bible uses the word, it's really the word fashioned. He fashioned Eve. So men, women, y'all tracking with me. And I'm, I'm grateful actually for that. I think women are you know, I'm glad they're, they're pretty and, and I'm glad they were fashion and we were squished. You know, the problem many of us guys have now is we're coming unsquished and, uh, that's where you get like a furniture disease where your chest falls in your drawers. And I mean, it's just a bad thing. Um, but, uh, it was just, it, all it is is life ladies. Just be patient with us. We're just coming unsquished. That's all it is. And, um, and so, but, but the point is what Adam put in Eve what God put in Eve, Adam no longer had. 
So you got to see this. You got to see that what, what God took out of Adam to make Eve with, Adam no longer had. And what God left in Adam after he made Eve, Eve no longer had. We're different. We're not created the same, right? And I think that speaks to not just physically, but I think that just speaks to our souls as well. We're just, we're just not the same. I mean, thank God, you know, men, you know, some, some, you know, men out there working, a guy cuts his leg off a chainsaw. He's like, it's okay, boy, grow back. Just put you something, keep going, don't cry. Right? And, and that's very different. You know, women, somebody can stub their toe. It's like, oh my God. How can I help you? Bless your heart. You've stumped your toe. You know, the point is we need, we need, we need sometimes the masculinity, not when someone cuts their leg off, but we also need the, the, the femininity, right? Um, because it's different. Are you with me? I think we all made the point that it's different. And so Paul says this, that we're equal, but we're different. We submit to one another. But then he talks about how we submit to one another and how we submit to one another really is targeted at what the other needs. Okay, so let's look at this. So what do men need? Well, Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the need of a man, the primary need, most women are like, yeah, sex. It's actually not sex. It's actually respect. That, that is why sex is important to a man because for a woman to give her body or, or sex to a man or to have sex with a man, that'd probably be a better way to say that, have sex with a man, it's an expression of respect and honor and, and that's why they receive it that way. But the mega need, the primary need is I need to be respected or I need to be honored. In fact, Paul rephrases this. Ephesians 5 verse 33 is kind of, kind of in summary, like after he's given this dissertation, kind of in summary, verse 33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself. We'll come back to that. But look what it says. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we have, submit to your husbands as done to the Lord. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. And, and so here's what he's saying. This is what men need. By the way, what we need is what we find attractive. So guys, if you're thinking going to the gym is making you attractive, I'm not saying it won't help. I'm not saying that at all. But what makes you attractive to your wife may not be what you think. And same thing with women. You may think, well, it's about, you know, getting hair extensions and, and eyelashes and, and, you know, all the stuff. And I'm not opposed to any of that stuff if that's what you want to do. You know, wear makeup, all that. If the barn needs paint, paint that barn. You know what I'm saying? I'm not opposed to any of that stuff. But I'm just, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm just saying... What men are attracted to, ladies, is they're attracted. Men are going to go where the respect is. They're going to show up where the, where the honor is. Let me, let me show you uh, what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, it says, Likewise, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so even if some do not obey the word. So he's actually giving uh, instruction to women whose husbands are not in tune with God, maybe not even following God, but they're not obeying the word of God. And look what he says. He says, so if some of you, he said, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So even if some do not obey the word, he's talking about the husbands, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be externally, the braiding of hair, the putting on gold, jewelry, clothing that you wear, but let it be adorning, be, let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is immeasurably beautiful uh, or with the immeasurable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty 
of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. And, and so let me just preface this by saying there again, Peter is speaking kind of in a similar way as Paul is to females, but he's even talking to wives whose husbands are not maybe doing what they should or not honoring the Lord, not following the Lord. And here's what he's saying. He's like, hey, you're pretty on the outside and that's good, but let's be pretty on the inside. And what he's saying is being pretty on the inside, the way that we do that is with a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, let me, let me just say this because it's probably something half the females in here are thinking. Are you saying I'm supposed to just let him walk all over me and be a doormat and do whatever he wants to do? Obviously, I'm not and neither is God or the Bible. That's not what this verse is about. But what it is about is understanding that the way you win your husband over is with a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, what is a gentle and quiet spirit? Well, I'm not saying it's a doormat, nor am I saying you, you remain in an abusive environment, whether you're a male or a female. If you're in an abusive environment, none of, no pastor here and none that I actually know would say remain in an abusive environment. I'm not saying you go out immediately and get a divorce. I'm saying you don't stay if you're being abused verbally, emotionally, physically, something like that. I'm not, you don't stay in that. You, you get out and you get help, right? So I'm not talking about that, nor am I talking about male chauvinism or being disrespectful or dishonoring to you. What I'm talking about is how your husband responds to how you live. And if your husband is not living right, how many know you can bring it up once or twice, right? But eventually, ladies, you just need to know this. If you just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, it's the whole nagging wife stereotype. If you just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, eventually he's just not going to listen anymore. He's not going to hear you more. So gentle and quiet doesn't mean doormat. It doesn't mean that I take abuse. Gentle and quiet is just the opposite of forceful and loud. Right? I'm not forceful and loud. And here's what you need to understand, ladies, and this is, I think, what Peter would say or Paul would say from this text. You need to understand why you are certainly welcome to say anything you want to say in a relationship, and hopefully your relationship is healthy enough that you can say what you need to say. Hopefully you're healthy enough to say it in a way that it can be heard, yes. right? So those are kind of the, the caveats of communication there. But what you need to understand is you're not the enforcer of what you say. In other words, you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not actually called to be his Holy Spirit. You're called to be his helper and he's going to take care of you. But, but you need to understand if I'm forceful and loud, usually that's where I've decided I'm going to get movement on this, right? Right? And what Peter's saying, that's not going to work. So ladies, let me help you. You be gentle with your husband, but you be violent in prayer. Amen. Because this is what gentle and quiet does. It trusts that God is the enforcer. And that, that I can bring it up to him, I can let him know, but if there's not movement, I have another avenue where I can be heard on this with God the Father, I'm his daughter, and I'll bring it up to him and let him deal with his boy. Yes. Are you with me? But you need to understand this because men, they go, listen, they go to where there's respect. Men so much crave and value honor and respect that we will do extraordinarily stupid things to have someone slap us on the shoulder and say, man, that's cool. Yes. <laughs> this is how men end up in the ER, especially young boys. We will slide down a slide of razor blades and jump in a puddle of alcohol to have somebody slap us on the back and say, man, that's awesome. I've never seen that. You're cool, man. 
Most men end up in the ER and it starts with these words. Watch this. Without men doing stupid stuff, half a TikTok would be done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just... Listen, men so much desire honor and respect. They'll, they will change. And this is why this, this text from Peter is such a revelation. Men will change their behavior based on the level of honor and respect they get. And they will adjust their behavior. Like if they see why well, I'm being respected here, Right, So so many times people say, well, my husband just works all the time. And there is true in our culture. There's a lot of times where jobs just are long jobs, et cetera, and that kind of thing. But when you start getting that, you know, it, well, he won't ever come home, then, then ask, well, where is, where is he being most honored and respected? Let me say another way. Men go to where they win. They won't play a game they can't win. Right? And by the way, this is why men like cheerleaders. Because they, they say positive things, right? You can be losing 49 to nothing. And they'll be like, score, score. Take the ball and score. Woo, you can do it, right? If cheerleaders out there are like, y'all suck. <laughs> Nobody asked them to prom. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> So you need to understand men, men crave honor and respect. They, they go to where the honor and respect is. Well, what, what do women need? What do women need? Well, Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives. So what women need, their, their top need then is security or love and security. Security and love, they kind of go hand in hand, especially in the, in the female brain. Um, but look at Paul there again in the summary in verse 33. He says it again. Let each of you love his wife. Well, how do you love your life? Well, you lay down your life and, and you give your life. For, for her life. This is what makes a woman feel secure is when you have a connected, selfless husband, women are secure. Well, what makes a woman insecure? A disconnected, selfish husband, right? This is what makes them. So, so this, is, this is their, if you will, their, their mega need. By the way, men, this is also what makes you look attractive, just like respect, when, you're, when, when your wife is respecting you, you're like, whoo, she's hot because <laughs> she's telling me I'm a sexy stud, whatever, you know? All right, we won't get into the language y'all may use for each other because it might be inappropriate for children. But anyways, you have your own language, right? Hubba, hubba, hubba. <laughs> whatever works. Um, <laughs> but... um. But, but, but guys, this also tells you how to look attractive for your wife because you think, well, going to the gym, you know, working out. And I'm not saying that, that women, you know, I mean, God created us and, and we see different things. And, and we, you know, a woman can see a man working out, see her husband lifting weights, say, well, look at that guy. He's just, you know, he's whatever. But, um, but when women feel where they're going to they're gonna go to where they feel love and security. Yes. Right? Are you with me? And so it's what makes you like connected right? Connected, loving, those type of things, selfless. That's what makes you look uh, attractive. They actually did a survey. This will help our guys, but there's a study, actually, the University of Washington. I think Dr. John Gottman uh, was the one that did this um, particular study, but he actually um, asked, he asked a bunch of wives, he says, when is your husband the most attractive to you? And, and the answer may surprise, it won't surprise the women at all, but it will surprise several men in here. The, the number one answer was, you ready for this? When he does housework. Yeah, laundry, the dishes, yeah. 
when he does housework. Yeah. In fact, I found this out like, you know, Jan and I obviously um, had been dating while she was she was at the house. And at this point, we had gone to events and nice restaurants and I'd worn suits and, and you know, my, my, good, my good cologne, because how many know you have your good cologne and then you have your not so good cologne, right? Are y'all with me on how we do that? You have your expensive stuff, that's impressing and how you want to smell. And there's your everyday stuff when you just don't care, but you need to smell okay. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'd worn the good cologne, right? I, the suits and you know, all the stuff. And, um, and I'm not saying she didn't think, I mean, I hope she thought I was attractive. I think she'd tell you that. Um, but, but we were at the house and I think it's one of my kids. I don't remember which one they needed something iron. They said, dad, could you iron this before you go? We were going to meet some friends and I said, sure, bring it to me. So they brought it to me. I pull out the ironing board, pull out the iron. I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm a dad. I have three teenagers. I've done ironing, right? Does this make sense? And I'm ironing and I look over at her and she's got the little hearts and the little birds, like the cartoons. And, and I'm like, what is it? And she said, you are so hot right now. And I'm like, Mouch <laughs> Wow Wow. Anyways, I'm taking two irons on the honeymoon, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Y'all need to stop. Y'all need to stop. But but the point is, they ask they ask their they ask these wives, when is he? <laughs> we gotta get back to the message, y'all. They ask, when is he the most attractive? Well, when he does housework. Now there was another. Follow me, guys, on this. I'm trying to help you. Um, there was another study done at the University of California. Now this was a little bit tricky, but they brought wives in, females in, and they actually took male sweat. Now, they did not tell them what it was. They told them this is just a product that we're trying out. When, when, the, when the wives, when the, the ladies found out it was male sweat, some psychologists were put to death. But, but um, they took male sweat and, and placed it above the top lip of all these females. Well, again, they just told them it was like lip balm or something. You know what I'm saying? They didn't tell them what it was. And that's why they all died after they found out what it was. And, and so... Um, <laughs> And so they, they said, we just want to record how this scent makes you feel. Well, number one, number two, number three response was, I feel happier. I feel more relaxed. I think I'm feeling romantic. All right, men, because we're slower, let's review. <laughs> the number one thing that made men look attractive to their spouses was housework. When sweat was entered into the equation, they felt happy, relaxed, and romantic. Okay, guys, I'm going to help you out. You, you are just one really clean house away from all your dreams coming true. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just, just trying to, try to want, you're welcome, just trying to help you out. But what's interesting, what's interesting in, in all honesty, and those are real stories, you can find them. But, but what is interesting is that, that the way God made us is when we, do, when we do relationships God's way, when we do marriage God's way, it meets each other's needs and we all feel fulfilled. We grow together and we excel and we succeed because that's the way God made us. In fact, when we do relationships God's way, we do both excel. In fact, when a man, a husband does relationships based on Ephesians 5, he does it God's way, his wife will actually become or excel or achieve 
Um, and, and when a wife does it the right way, a husband will become accelerative. Let, let me show you this just really quickly. But when he's talking to, when he's talking to, to men, he says, you know, nourish and cherish. We use those words, nourish and cherish. Those are actually agricultural terms. Nourish means to feed water and help come to maturity, to bring to maturity. Cherish means watch over and protect. So what, he, what he's actually saying, when we do this God's way, then we, we actually help our wife, or our wife's wife or our spouse grow and become who God created them to be and to flourish. We actually, in an atmosphere where they're truly being watered and, and cared for and protected, w- women become, right? Um, conversely, in, in an atmosphere of respect, men become. Um, um, in fact, when Peter says, 1 Peter 3, he's talking to husbands and wives. We didn't read it, but he says in there, Abraham, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, right? This is a verse most women don't have on a refrigerator magnet. But, um, but the point is this, um, and, and I have had a woman sit across from me and say, well, it was easy for her to call him Lord. This is Abraham, the father of our faith. And if, if my husband acted like him, I'd call him Lord. I'm like, well, now Abraham slept with the housekeeper. And two different times, two kings lied and said, Sarah's not actually my wife. She's my sister and was willing for his wife to be taken in the harem of kings. And I said, so you're telling me that's what you want. If your husband will do those things, you'll call him Lord. And that was, that's when the conversation changed. And, and so and it, you can read it two different times. Abraham said, Sarah, you're hot, and they're going to kill me to take you, so we'll just pretend we're, we're you know, brother and sister. My point is in this is that I think this was about Sarah's honoring of who Abraham was and probably attributes to some of the success of Abraham. I can prove it. Proverbs 31 actually says this, Proverbs 31, 23. And this proverb typically is addressed to women. It's talking about, you know, you've heard the Proverbs 34 woman or Proverbs 31 woman. But Proverbs 31, verse 23, look what it says. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. What, what Solomon is actually doing, he's actually attributing the husband's success to the way the wife honored him. He's actually saying because, because of the way she treated him, he excelled in their community, in their society, in their city. And so it's actually attributing his success. Many times when you see a, a successful male, it's usually there's a woman somewhere that was honoring, respecting, and helping, and, and doing what you know, her role or her calling was behind, behind the scenes. And so you, you have to understand that, that women, when they are being cared for, and they are loved, and they are secure, they become and they flourish. When men are being honored and respected, right, they also excel. And, and this is the beautiful thing about the way God made marriage. In fact, when you look at Genesis, everything that God made, there's this phrase that comes right after it in the creation, the account of creation in Genesis. It says, God created, and it will say what he created. And they will say, and he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw, the only thing that God said, it's not good, is he said, and God, and man was alone. And God said, and it's not good that man be alone. And so God created woman. Why? So they could both help each other. Both, hear that, men. So they could both help each other. Listen, men, just like you want your wife to come alongside you and be your helper, 
to help you succeed. You need to make part of your life calling to help her succeed. Why? We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how we submit. So we have different needs. Here, here's the second thing. It'll take just a minute. But, but write this down. Men and women, they have different needs, but men and women are flawed in different ways. What Ephesians 5 is actually trying to help us do is actually tr- it's, it's antidotal in that it addresses the problems created in the fall which sabotage relationships. In other words, Adam and Eve, we know in Genesis 3 was the fall of man and Adam and Eve fell and they fell together, but they sinned in different ways. And those sins, the sin they committed in different ways created a sin nature in them. Paul talks about this in his writings in the New Testament about our sin nature um, or our unregenerated nature, um, our fallen nature, some call it. Um, theologically, but the point is they sinned in different ways and it affected us in different ways. So just like we have different needs, we have different flaws. And in Ephesians 5 is a prescription that deals with our individual sin nature that would normally, if not dealt with, will sabotage relationships. All right, so let me say it again, make sure I understand. Make sure we, yeah, let me say it again so I understand and then I'll explain it to you. Okay, <laughs> So the point is, the way we're broken, our sin nature will sabotage relationships. Ephesians 5 is telling us how to deal with our individual sin natures. And the reason it tells us different things is because her nature is different than his nature and his nature is different than her nature. Are are you tracking with me so far? So Adam and Eve, what was the the sin of mankind? Well, the sin of mankind was they declared rebellion or independence or rebellion from God. God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. And they ate the fruit of the tree. But the way I caught the fall of the first family, the way the first family fell, they both both contributed, but in different ways. They both sinned, but in different ways. So let's look at it because this will help us. So what was Eve's sin? Well, Eve is in the garden. Things are good. Adam and Eve in the garden, naked, eating fruit salad, petting cheetahs. It's a wonderful day. And Satan shows up as a serpent and says, because he's a serpent. These are the jokes, people. But he says, hey, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit of this tree or you can't eat all the fruit of the garden? And she said, well, God said, and you know the story, I can eat all the fruit of the garden, but I can't eat the fruit of this one tree because God said I'll die. Now, here's what you need to understand. Eve, God didn't actually tell that to Eve. Adam did. Eve wasn't created when God gave the command about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not to eat it. We know that because when Eve talks to the, to the serpent, she says, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it, which is not what God said, right? So what happened? Well, God told Adam, don't eat of this tree. Well, then Adam's responsibility was to his wife to explain the command of God that they had been given. And Adam tells I, this holy imagination, but I think Adam said, now Eve, this one tree, this is what God said. We don't, we don't eat of this tree or we'll die. In fact, let's not even touch it. Let's just not even touch this tree. So Satan comes and says, well, let's, let's eat. You know, God didn't really say, and you'll be like God. And here's what Eve does. She takes the fruit and she eats it. Now, what should Eve have done? She should have said, I hear what you're saying there, nice serpent. 
But my husband said he received a decree from the Lord that said not to. So before I do this, let me go back to my husband and talk to him and we'll inquire of God together and then I'll let you know what my response is. So what was Eve's sin? Independence and control. She acted independently, not only of God, but independently of Adam. And she took control of a relationship that he was supposed to be the head of. And she started driving the bus where God had called man to be the head, right? So her sin was different than Adam's sin. What was Adam's sin? Disconnection and apathy. Because think about it. Eve's over here having a conversation with the serpent who's trying to talk her into eating a fruit they're not supposed to eat. And Adam has no clue anything's going on. Adam should have been saying, hey, what, what, hey what's going on over here? Listen, Mr. Serpent, you talk to me. Yes. Yes. Eve, I'll handle this for you. I have the decree of the Lord. He gave it to me, he, he gave it to me personally, and I'll lead us through this. So, so Eve, you're safe with me. Let, me. let me figure this out and make this decision. But instead, he was disconnected and apathy, apathetic, like, oh. <laughs> and when Eve said, hey, I ate of the fruit, you ought to eat of it too. He's like, okay. Like that was an opportunity for him to say, wait a second, what has happened? What has happened? What, what can I do here? How can I step in? Let's, before we do anything else, let's not hide from God. Let's run to him. See, this is an opportunity for him to lead, and he didn't. He didn't lead there, and he didn't lead here. So, so what was Adam saying? Well, he was apathetic and disconnected. What was Eve saying? Well, she was controlling and independent. And most of the time when we sit in an office with a couple that are going through a difficult season in their relationship, those are the two things I hear. She's manipulative. Well, he won't do anything. He won't lead. He won't lead our family. Well, she's all the time in control. Well, he won't do anything. I know it's real quiet. Don't nudge anybody right now. Just... <laughs> Just look straight ahead like, this is fascinating, Pastor. I've never heard any of these conversations. This is amazing, right? And so, so what was what's Eve's sin then? Well, her sin is unrighteous control. Taking control and taking position that God didn't give her, not because she's not an equal with Adam, but because God gave her a role where Adam is the head. This is what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5. Adam's the head of the family. As Christ the head of the church. So, so listen, ladies, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a minute and I'm going to talk to them a minute. So this is what you're going to have to fight. Is you're going to have to fight wanting to take control of the marriage, right? Because I've sat with ladies and they'll tell you, well, he won't lead. He won't lead us spiritually. He won't lead us financially. He just won't lead. And when I get into it, I'm like, well, how would he lead? Because if he does anything you don't approve of, there's retribution for that. So he's just trying to stay out of the way because you, you've so tightened down and got control of this thing that you won't let him lead. I know it's going to be quiet for a few minutes and then I'll get back to a joke, okay? <laughs> and what I have to say is, well, you've got to, if you want him to lead, you've got to give him some leash here. Good Lord. You've got to give him some space. And ladies, let me say this. You've you got to understand he may not lead the way you want him to lead. As a pastor, you know, we have other pastors, we have other department leaders on our team. Um, <clears throat> one thing I had to learn very early 
for not only for them to be successful, but for the church to be successful is I had to learn, not only learn, but had to learn to appreciate the fact that they don't lead their departments maybe the way I would lead their departments. The reason is because they're not me. They don't have my opinions, but also they don't have my giftings. But the other side of that, I don't have their giftings. So they're going to lead based on their knowledge, their understanding, their giftings, their callings, what they're good at, how they motivate people or, or the vision that they have for that department, Right. And, and I have to just understand, yeah, they're going to lead their way. Now, I mean, yes, there's guardrails because I'm kind of in charge of vision and values. And so if something, if something goes, you know, runs into the guardrail of vision or runs into the guardrail of value, value, obviously I step in and we have a conversation. The point is I had to understand I can't sit here and, and scrutinize everything because then they're not free to lead. Ladies, in, in your marriage, you want your husband to lead, but you may have to back up and let him run into a guardrail or two. You may have to give him space to lead and understand he's not going to lead the way you're going to lead, right? But that's one thing, because the way we're falling, it's where we're going to struggle. Are, are you with me? And I understand there's a whole, well, do I let him buy a bass boat when we can't afford it? I would say no, but if he's just going to do it, you just don't co-sign. Let him, let him have the impact of his decision. Remember, be gentle with him and violent in prayer. Are you tracking with me? Now let me talk to the men. And ladies are like, you better. <laughs> men, many times women try to control because there's a lack of security. When there's a leadership vacuum, they try to fill it. In other words, when I'm not leading, when I'm not doing what God's called me to do, it creates insecurity. Insecurities like fear. Fear will always try to control because that's the way we deal. If it's out of control, like we want to get it back in control. It's scary when it's out of control, right? So, so man, there again, this is how we're flawed. We're naturally, I'd say it, but many times naturally disconnected and apathetic, and we see no problem with that. We're over there in the fishing box. You know, we don't even know that, you know, there's something going on with a kid or something going on in the family. We're over here in the fishing box. This is why God gives us wonderful, wonderful wives or, or women. And they come in and say, hey, honey, did you know the fishing box is actually connected to the kid box? Remember what we talked about? And we're like, whoa. And so then we put the fishing box aside and get the kid box and then we get involved. And so here's what I'm saying, men, is, is for us, the, the way we start our leadership in the home is actually by taking initiative, getting involved, and getting connected. Let me say some things that may help you. The kids are not just her responsibility. Amen. You can actually change diapers, clean up, throw up, and put them to bed. That went over about like I thought. <laughs> By the way, ladies, you missed a great opportunity there. And you're like, no, I don't want to mess it up, Pastor. Just keep preaching. <laughs> I don't want to mess this up. Right? You can actually do laundry and, and dishes. Yes. Right? Uh, many times, guys, this is what I'll hear this from men. Um, I, I wish my wife would initiate sex. Let me, let me give you a phrase that maybe you've never thought of. Your wife wishes you would initiate connection. In other words, would you actually sit down? The Bible says that Jesus laid down his life for his wife. Well, how did he lay down his life? This is what he did. He laid down what he was busy with, you know, running eternity, and stepped into her world and put on flesh and stepped into his bride's world. 
if you want, if you want a, a wife that's secure, take time every day to step into her world. We're really good at asking them to help us be successful at our world. Like you take care of the kids and you take care of the house and you take care of the meals and you do all this so I can go to work and succeed. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's, if that's how you do it. But when you come home from work, step into her world and help her succeed. How do you feel? How are you doing? Like what's going on with you? A question I love to ask Jana is like, hey, how are you feeling about life right now? How are you feeling about the kids right now? How are you feeling about us right now? How are you feeling about this? Another thing that I love, this is just, I'm just helping you out. I love to go to dinner and sit at dinner at some point and say, hey, what's one thing I could do that really just bless you? Yeah. I probably don't ask that question enough, but I've asked it several times. What's something I could do that just encourage you or bless you, right? You know, one, one thing, guys, is you can pray with your wife. And, it, and, and, I, and I think this is where men struggle with praying with their wives because I get it. it. Like Pastor Mark and Lane talked about, sometimes that can be a little bit odd if you're not used to doing that. But, but remember, you don't have to call down fire on an altar of sacrifice for it to count as prayer. It, it's, it, you don't have to pencil out like, well, okay, I guess we need an hour and I'm gonna, I don't even know what to pray for an hour. No, look, keep it short, keep it consistent. And, and, and really, that's, I mean, that's the key. Keep it short, keep it consistent. Just pray. You know, one, one thing that, that I do uh, with Jana once, we, we didn't start praying together until we knew that this was going to be a marriage because you, you do bond when you pray. So single people, like if he's wanting to have a prayer meeting with you on the first date, I would say no to that. That's not healthy, even though I think you should pray, but you, should, you, you bond that way, right? You create bonds. And so you want to be careful about all bonding activities until you know you want to be bonded to that person. But when, when we knew, okay, we're engaged, we're going to get married, she's my favorite person to pray with, and it's very easy to pray with her, and it's not hard. But those prayers are not, you know, an hour and a half of calling down fire from God on a sacrifice on the altar. They're simple prayers. And many times the way I know what to pray is I just listen to her. And when, if she's worried about one of the boys or she's worried about a situation, I say, well, let's just pray about that. Let's just pray about that right now. It'll take two and a half seconds and we'll all feel better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so guys, this is what I'm saying is when women feel secure, they're less likely to try to control as much and it frees you up to lead. Women, if you'll free him up to lead, it might actually help him have that space and you'll feel more secure. We need to understand the secret that what Paul is telling us here, the secret of Ephesians 5 is it is speaking to the way we're flawed from the fall. And so what he's saying is, you, you know, for, for relationships to work, you're going to have to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning, because I've had this, well, I would submit to her if she'd submit to me. Well, how do we decide um, which one's going to do their part first? Here's what I'd say. The one that loves God the most. Because you're making doing your part about loving your partner, but doing your part's about loving God. Because I love God, I'm going to submit to her. Because I love God, I'm going to submit to him. So whoever loves God the most is the one that goes first. Right? So submit to one another. Well, how do we submit to one another? Well, husbands, lay down your life. Don't be apathetic. Be involved. Be intentional. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't be independent. Don't be controlling. Be submitted. Right? Honor and respect him. 
And he's saying, you need to understand, we both give 100%, husbands and wives give 100%. It looks differently, but it's because not only are we created differently, it's because we're flawed differently. Amen? Can you give God praise today? <clears throat> you survived. Why don't we stand? <laughs> Why don't we stand? And I did want to say this. I think that I forgot to mention it, but if you need help in your marriage, you can text my marriage to 94,000. If you have a relationship question, we're going to answer those next week. Um, that's going to be fun. You can text my question 94,000. And then also we, we have opened up a marriage enrichment weekend. It's called Together Marriage Weekend led by Pastor Mark and Elena and Pastor Bill and Lori. Um, and it's a Friday and Saturday. And if you, you can register online. If you register today, it's just $30, which includes your meals and all your materials and your evaluations, all the stuff you do. And it's for, if your marriage is great, it's for you. And if your marriage is going through a difficult season, it's for you. And if you're engaged, it's for you as well. So you can register today. In January, the cost goes up, but you can register today. So I just want to make sure I tell you that. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and I'm just going to pray for us today. Um, so if you're part of our prayer team, if you'll come on. And I want to encourage you, if you need prayer today, let us pray for you, whether it's about a relationship or financial issue, a health issue, or whatever work situation. We just, we know prayer changes things, and we want to pray with you. But let's bow our heads just for a moment. And uh, God, we just thank you so much for your goodness, um, your faithfulness, your grace. Um, God, thank you that, that you give us kind of the secret of of how to do relationships, how to do marriage. Um, God, it's, it's there in black and white, and we talked about it today, but it's still not easy, so give us the grace that we need. Lord, I pray for everyone today, if their relationship's going through a very difficult season, God, I understand that. I know how hard and painful that is. I pray for your grace. And God, I pray if their marriage is in a great place today, then God, let it be enriched as we've studied your word together. God, we want to take a moment, though, before we leave and hear from you. And so I'm going to ask everyone with their heads bowed before we leave, with their heads bowed, I just want to ask you for a moment just to ask God what he's saying to you, just where you're at. And it may be about, it can be about anything. We just want to hear the voice of God speaking to us. And so before we leave, every person with their heads bowed, would you take a moment and just say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Or, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message today? And then I want you to take a moment and, and just hear from him. And God, I pray that every person would hear from you today as we turn our hearts and our attention to you before we leave. God, that you would speak. And God, let us take the words that you have spoken and put them into action. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here or watching online that 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 doesn't know you today, God, I pray you'd bring them and draw them to the front in just a minute when others come for prayer. And, and God, that today they would start a relationship with you. God, if they're online, they can text my pathway prayer to 94,000 and we'll pray with them that way. But God, we, we want to, we know all healthy relationships start with a relationship with you. God, I pray again for all the relationships in our church. Lord, let them grow, thrive, Lord, if they're in difficulty, give them grace and help and comfort. God, all of it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time before we before we get out of here? Yeah, God is good. Listen, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Whatever the need would be, it'd be our honor to pray for you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you, and we will see you next weekend.